Hello and welcome to Honey, Are You Happy? A podcast dedicated to breaking down stigma around mental health through authentic and sometimes quite challenging conversations, inspirational stories and educational segments. I'm your host, Joss Walden. I'm an assistant psychologist and ambassador for the UK's leading eating disorder charity, BEAT. I have a wealth of experience in mental health, public speaking, advocacy, research and behaviour change. Most importantly, I am your biggest cheerleader when it comes to helping you put your mental and physical health first. Hello and welcome back. So today's episode is just going to be me. I'm going to talk about the five biggest mistakes that I made during my recovery. Now, I will say, just as a disclaimer, obviously eating disorders are mental health issues, therefore they are not choices per se, but there are choices that you have to make within recovery that will obviously choose the path of your recovery. (laughs) And so when I talk about mistakes that I made, it's also things that maybe I was a bit naive about. I was younger. I was in my late teens, early 20s. I was new to eating disorders. There were things that I needed to learn during my recovery. Um, there are also things that maybe looking back with hindsight, I just made the wrong choice in my recovery. I just maybe wasn't honest with myself or um, didn't partake in um, the support that I was being offered as well as I could have things that delayed the process things that I wish if I if I could turn the clocks backwards that maybe I would do differently now or things that I would tell myself and say to myself to reassure that actually do you know what it's okay so although I call them mistakes I really don't like to look at them as mistakes because you know at the time with the illness that I had the things that I did felt safe, they felt right. But the things, if I could turn back time, I would have wished I could have known beforehand or could have now changed and altered. So without further ado, guys, let's get into this episode. I hope that you find some really useful take-home points in it and that it can help you with wherever you're at at this time in your recovery journey. So number one of my biggest recovery mistakes, and believe me, there were many, but number one was that not taking my recovery seriously, not believing that I had a problem and pretty much just wasting my own time, no one else's. Actually, probably did waste my parents' time. I mean, I say that very harshly, I was ill, I was sick, and uh, you know, eating disorders are a very serious mental health illness their psychiatric illness they come with a lot of denial a lot of shame a lot of guilt a lot of difficult feelings that are being processed and when I was ill as well social media wasn't a thing it was 2008 I had none of these online platforms of which to learn about eating disorders or to learn from other people's experiences the first time I heard the word anorexia was when it came out of my GP's mouth. And to be honest, I really didn't understand what was going on. So the fact that I didn't take it seriously probably had something to do with that, as well as also just my age of being 15 and kind of thinking I am indestructible, thinking that, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm young. Um, my body will bounce back. It's OK. Um 
and the illness itself being very manipulative and me thinking that actually other people are lying to me. Um, for those of you who don't have a background in eating disorders and are just listening, listening out of like pure interest in education, uh, eating disorders are not a psychosis as such. So people don't hear like schizophrenia, don't hear like an audio audible voice, but I do talk about the anorexic voice and that's kind of like your critical part of your own self-talk on loudspeaker. It just, it feels like there's a bully sitting on your shoulder, just screaming at you every day, but it's not a different voice. It's not like it's a psychotic voice. It's just like the anxious, fearful, critical self-talk in your head is just blown up on loudspeaker and it can be very manipulative at times it can be very hard to see feelings from fact feelings often feel like a fact so if I feel like my mum is slipping extra stuff in my food I'm going to believe that and I'm not going to eat the food so it's a very manipulative illness and I think part of it is that the illness itself convinced me there wasn't a problem. I'm fine. Everyone else is against me. Everyone else just wants me to put on weight. Um, but obviously now I'm healthy and I'm well and I'm recovered. And I work within the NHS. There is no way in hell they are going to want anyone in the system as um, underfunded and kind of in demand as the eating disorder services you know if you're not supposed to be there like they're not going to try and just make you gain weight for the sake of it believe you me they need those spaces so if you're there and if you're getting help but your eating disorder is telling you you don't deserve to be there you do and if you're struggling to get help and you're struggling for people to take you seriously then trust me I've been there too and it's a flawed system but the BEEP website has a really useful downloadable GP form that you can take along to your doctor's appointment if you're struggling for them to take you seriously and get you referred and you can write down all the answers on this form it's got like pre um pre-made questions and uh you can just give it to your gp has the beat logo on as well so they can see it's accredited and then you can just kind of um hopefully that will push you forward anyway but either way it's a twisted system it's a twisted illness i definitely did not take my recovery seriously until i got into an adult ward and that was the light bulb moment for me i suddenly was around patients who had been chronically ill their whole life um up until this point i'd been ill for about now nearly four years and um i suddenly saw how my life was going to be if i didn't make a change and i didn't want that for myself i i did on some level believe I deserved better and even if I didn't think all the time that I deserved better I definitely wanted a better shot at life than the one that I was carving out for myself so I wish I did that earlier I wish I hadn't left it until I was about 18 19 and had to have dropped out of my a-levels and university and all that jazz um I wasted my own time and I put my fa family through a lot of stress um but I now see that that wasn't me and that was my illness but still number one mistake was not taking my recovery seriously early enough. Number two, masking my eating disorder with other socially accepted or promoted behaviours. What I'm talking about here is the diet and fitness industry. It makes it very easy to mask any sort of behaviours. And during my university years, which was four years when I was at Surrey, I was still suffering with my eating disorder. I was just able to function with it. And um, 
I was in kind of like what I'd call quasi recovery. So in the kind of like, not at a critical stage, I didn't need to be seen by like a community team and regularly checked up on. I was able to maintain, you know, a healthyish weight. Um, it used to fluctuate quite a lot, but I was able to kind of keep myself well enough to stay out of services. I was eating well, I was, you know, I was independent, but my behaviors were very orthorexic and clean eating was a massive buzzword at that time. And it's funny how I look back and I can see how my behaviors were manipulated or influenced by the current trends. I got really into bodybuilding. I lost a lot of weight. I was eating very clean. I felt anxious and um, preoccupied by food. I definitely had my eating disorder still, but I was kind of masking it within the socially accepted and praised behaviors. I'd get people at the gym telling me I should compete in competitions. Um, it was admirable to people, the the hours I was putting in and um, the physique I was maintaining, even though I was very cold, I was very fatigued, I had no libido, um, I was very anxious all the time. There was lots of cons to it and lots of things that looking back I can see was just my eating disorder, being scared of letting go of that kind of small identity of having the small petite body and what fully letting go of my eating disorder could mean. But these socially accepted acceptable labels made it easy for me to mask. Um, I also went vegetarian and pescatarian for a while and um, again found it easier to kind of mask and cut out certain foods that I still associated with being um, weight gain foods or foods that I felt I would lack control around um, and it's only really been in this last three years that I have really overcome all those hurdles and now I would say I have a completely neutral approach to food and I will give myself a bit of everything and I'm happy to eat whatever whenever and you know have what other people prepare for me and I don't need a label to mask myself I don't need to say oh, I'm bodybuilding um, I do enjoy going to the gym still I have ADHD so it's a it's a real way that I control my energy levels um, and regulate myself but I'm also very happy to um, relax I'm happy to stretch I'm happy to sit and read I'm happy to write I'm happy to do all these other things that I wouldn't have done before I would have been preoccupied with with getting the movement in and now it's something I can kind of give and take and still relax um, you know around it a bit more so that is an added bonus but definitely masking my eating disorder with these other socially accepted or promoted behaviors um, again it just it was me only lying to myself. I'm pretty sure a lot of my friends could see as plain as day what was going on. And at one point, a couple of my girlfriends did come round and sit me down. And I'm, I love them to the end of the world for doing this because it really highlighted how much they cared about me um, and my health. And, you know, for them to come and sit me down and say, we're actually a little bit concerned about what you're doing. Um was a really big thing for them and a really big thing for me. So thank you to those girls if you're listening. I love you millions. Um, but for me, it was that kind of lying to myself and masking it and kind of putting these socially acceptable labels on it and saying, oh no, but I'm just, you know, I'm into bodybuilding at the moment and following all the bodybuilding accounts and kind of getting sucked into that world. Um, so it was kind of like unfollowing those accounts, um, putting social media on hold getting back in touch with what I love doing, the movement that makes me feel good, identifying when my body is overtrained, needs to rest and prioritizing that. And then also noticing when actually I'm choosing exercise over things that are more fun, like social occasions, seeing friends, going to parties, going traveling. 
and um, rationalizing those things in my mind. So a lot of kind of CBT techniques in there, a lot of thought challenging, a lot of kind of um, identifying the um, anxious thought or the anxious belief, challenging it and rationalizing it to come to a healthier alternative behavior. And then doing that behavior, even if it feels a bit uncomfortable, because over time it will feel comfortable to do. So that's kind of how I got out of that. And I would say as well, unfollowing the accounts really did help. Again, there was a lot of social media stars at the time who were promoting a certain way of eating, who were now actually coming on to say, oh my gosh, I was so disordered back back then. And I think it just highlights that people are just human. And I think the social influencer world is is very toxic. We look to these people as if they have no fault, faults, no flaws. They are human. They are fallible. They are just as susceptible to body image pressures, to eating disorders as you and I. And the fact is that they too could be masking behind certain labels or certain you know behaviors. And if you're looking to them as an idol, but you're copying what they're doing you know, first of all, their body is not your body. And second of all, you could just be copying disordered behaviors. So, you know, it's interesting now seeing these particular people come out on their platforms and saying, I can't believe I used to do X, Y, Z. I can't believe I used to promote X, Y, Z. And then me thinking, well, yeah, you promoted it. And how many other people (laughs) are now stuck in, in, in difficult cycles of eating and behavior because of what was being promoted. So it's important that, you know, you hold yourself accountable for what you're following, that you question, you critique people's behaviors and people's posts if you are following a lot of people, because just because they've got a big following or just because they've got a title doesn't necessarily mean what they're going to be doing is going to be healthy or going to be right for you. Number three, it's thinking that once I've reached my goal weight, all the hard work would stop. <laughs> to the contrary, this is actually where the hard work started um I think it's very much the medical model of recovery so the the model of recovery that say GPs and doctors and healthcare professionals nurses will be under is this medical model where if there is an illness or a you know a disease or an injury there is a medical way to fix it which is normally some sort of form of treatment um maybe it's a wrapping it in a bandage if it's a broken leg maybe it's a, a pill to fix it um usually those are kind of like the medical models is some sort of medicine some sort of remedy and then the kind of psychological model is the biopsychosocial models and we're under this very holistic model that actually health and illness is, is on a continuum and uh it's it's impacted and influenced by lots of biological social environmental and psychological factors that come into play to the perfect presentation of of our health status so there's two different uh, contradicting kind of um models and the psychologist sits in the biopsychosocial and the doctors kind of sit more on the medical although we are seeing a big shift but really i think the medical model told me that i would restore my weight and i would be fixed the thoughts would stop it would the anorexia would get quieter and I would go on and live a normal life to the contrary I lived for many years as an anorexic in a healthy weight body and that was even harder because at a healthy weight people don't take your anorexia seriously um friends and family think you're not suffering anymore they think you're not struggling anymore and you're kind of overlooked maybe you're 
behaviors your anxieties are trivialized more people are like oh we're not talking about this again are we and it's like I'm actually really struggling um it's just like the compassion changes and also as many people are finding it's harder to then get referred to services because usually what they're looking for is this tick box criteria that's built of quite um, an old-fashioned and stereotyped version of anorexia at its most severe so often using BMI as a criterion, which should not be used as recent research has actually found that about 6% of people with anorexia are underweight, which means 94% of them are not underweight. And I don't need to tell you which is the larger percentage in that statistic. So as you can see, there's a lot that's wrong. And I think I needed the most support when I was at a healthy weight to not buy in again to my eating disorder so when I'm feeling uncomfortable in my body when everything's saying oh my gosh like but I should you know I'm feeling so out of control I'm feeling so chaotic I still haven't got a grasp or control over these big and painful and overwhelming emotions all I want to do is numb again through my anorexia like I had no support then to be like instead of doing that have you considered doing xyz or shall we have a look at your what you're thinking and feeling about your body and see if we can come to a neutral place of acceptance um or tolerance uh which therapy such as acceptance and commitment therapy or cbt cognitive behavioral therapy will will help you do at the end of the day my parents walked out and got me private psychotherapy because nothing i was being offered was actually helping me at the time Again, it's a bit of a postcode lottery of where you are and what's available. And just at that particular time, in my particular area, there wasn't much on. So we went private and uh, had a really great psychotherapist. And that was super, super helpful. And I really think because of her, I kept out of services and afloat in the community. And then through her and her work with me, I got my first boyfriend and felt confident in that situation, was looking outward and kind of let go of quite a lot of people-pleasing behavior and was able to kind of follow my own path and go traveling and and kind of do the things that I really liked um and leave my eating disorder behind so big shout out to my psychotherapist if she listens to this I doubt she does so yeah biggest mistake in recovery thinking that once I reached my goal weight all the hard work would stop to the contrary you will need more support. You'll need to reach out to your friends. You might need to explain to your family members that actually, you know, just because my weight has been restored, it uh, doesn't mean that I'm not struggling anymore. I'm actually finding X, Y, Z really difficult. I could do with this sort of support, or I think I need some more therapy or whatever it may be. Number four was keeping my old sick clothes. Ugh. This was like one of the most painful mistakes I could have made and actually contributed to quite a few relapses. I say contributed to, didn't cause them. It was just like in the back of my mind that they were, they were in my cupboard and that I wanted to fit into them again. And I think that kind of became a driving force. Throwing them out um, was the best thing. And actually like learning how to treat my body because that was quite hard for me. Learning how to like find clothes that looked good on me and dress for a certain body size and shape and appreciate what I have and look at all that's unique and beautiful about me um that was a journey in itself but one that I could only do once I threw out all the clothes that were clothes I wore when I was really ill um having them there also made me kind of grieve my eating disorder 
again sounds really strange to anyone who who has never had an eating disorder because for everyone else they might be like you are chronically ill like that's great that you don't have that anymore why are you sad um but there is a bit of a grieving there's a bit of a kind of a loss of safety like an eating disorder is very safe to the individual it's a protective mechanism and there can be this kind of grieving period of like I don't have that anymore like that's not my safety blanket and it can be bittersweet that obviously I'm so thankful and delighted for the life I have now and I would not replace it for the world but at times if I'm feeling really sad or I'm feeling an actual grief say a loss in the family or something sometimes those feelings I feel are, are really intense and I don't have my eating disorder there to cope with it so sometimes there is a bit of a grieving of oh my gosh you know um, I miss that part that would have just numbed this a bit for me um, but then I'm also very thankful that I'm now resilient enough to handle big and overwhelming emotions and conflict and all these other difficult things that encompass our human experience but keeping my old clothes was definitely something that was triggering that kind of want and desire to to shrink again and and to hide again and it was something that I thought like I was I'll only be acceptable once I fit back into these clothes excuse me for coughing and dying on my podcast so yeah so I think getting rid of them was so important for like just rewriting the narrative of my life rewriting my health you know these were not the clothes I was going to wear again these were part of an old story an old identity and actually seeing the beauty and being able to recreate yourself because not many people get that chance to like literally build themselves up from the bottom up and like recreate themselves and I think you know having it as a chance to kind of like be like what image do I want like what clothes are in you know what do I want to wear what do I want to look like how do I want to restyle myself how do I want to feel when I look in the mirror and I know anyone can do that at any point in their life you don't have to have had an eating disorder or been through recovery to do that um but it was you know it was trying to make that process fun for myself it was trying to see that as something that I could do which was a bit of a pampering which was a bit of a kind of you've done all this hard work you deserve nice things like you've gone through a grueling six to eight months of you know maybe a hospital admission or something you deserve to not remind yourself of that kind of pain but also like keep looking forward and and building yourself up so I think keeping my old sick clothes I wish I'd chucked them away earlier I wish that someone in the hospital a nurse or a support worker who'd been working with anorexics for years would have told me or told my parents or you know she's coming home in a month like have you thought about redoing a wardrobe um I wish that someone had spoken up and said that because obviously I hadn't experienced that whole going home and having to to look at them and, and touch them and try and fit into them again and I think um had I had some pre-warning I would have been able to kind of plan for that trigger but oh well we live and learn and now I'm telling you to get rid of your old sick clothes and the fifth and final biggest recovery mistake was not eating enough carbs um and I say this because actually with the overtraining that I used to do and the masking my behaviors and kind of like bodybuilding and things like this um, and not really being true to myself or honest about the behaviors that I was using. Not eating enough carbs is also one that I used to kind of mask quite a lot. And it was very easy to do so through, you know, diet culture makes it very easy to do so. There's always some sort of, you know, low carb, high protein and fat diet, keto, whatever it is, there's always something that you can mask it with. And I think for a while, I kind of wouldn't give myself those things 
And then at the weekend, I would just binge. I'd just like drink all the alcohol and then that let my inhibitions go. And then it would just be like all the dominoes and all the chips and, you know, everything that I wasn't allowing myself during the week. Um, And as I kind of went through my journey of recovery and intuitive eating and learning to reconnect to my body and not being scared to reconnect with my body, I kind of have neutralized food and like nothing's off limits. So if I wanted a slice of pizza after I've recorded this, I would go and have a slice of pizza. And the best thing about that is that I'm not going to binge on it because in my mind, it's not off limit. It's not something that's bad. I don't see carbohydrates as bad anymore. I think I definitely bought into the whole diet culture lies about carbs making you fat and causing weight gain. And I think to be honest, the only thing that got me out of that was education and was following accounts led by nutritionists who were very passionate about um, debunking diet myths and giving people really good solid evidence and I think that really helped me kind of understand nutrition more and not buy into all this kind of like superfoods and detoxing shit and and actually understand how our body naturally detoxifies itself every fucking day and um also just how our body works how it breaks down food what it uses it for um you know slow releasing carbs and you know fast releasing sugars and foods whatever it is you can tell I'm not a dietitian I am not seeing any of this properly um but basically I was learning about the types of foods and my body and what my body needs and kind of just like I think the best thing for me to learn was actually that the stress I feel around food is more detrimental and more toxic to my body than the food itself. So all that cortisol you're pumping in to your body from being anxious and fearful and stressed is way more, way more toxic to your body than actually just having the goddamn food. And I think during those cycles of binge eating when I was like restricting and not allowing myself certain foods and then really overdoing the carbs um, by just going into binges but again my body was in what's known as the last supper mentality so when your body thinks oh gosh like she's never going to give this to us again we're just going to have to take it all now it kind of goes into all or nothing thinking so it grabs as much as it can and then you go into the other cycle of restriction and you're like okay I'm never eating those again and so you've gone from one extreme to the next and the problem with that is it just continues this diet restrict kind of um sorry binge restrict cycle which is really difficult to get out of and I think it was only through increasing the carbs I ate again, educating myself on the kind of the beliefs I had about carbohydrates, where they were coming from, looking at the evidence, talking to nutritionists, my my friends who are studying nutrition and who are now nutritionists, um, following the right sort of social media channels and listening to the right sort of podcasts. I was able to kind of like reevaluate my beliefs and see that they were still very much ingrained in eating disorders and diet culture and that to break free from those and to stop the kind of binging and the cycles of kind of like shame and binging and over-exercising and restricting um, I needed to up the food during the week and that meant upping the carbohydrates um, and with that meant like giving myself some of the food that I enjoyed I think when you're learning to do that as well, eating disorders can be quite secretive. Making it quite a social thing really helped. I'm not going to binge in front of people because 
that's a horrible thing for them to see <laughs> uh, me gorging on a whole cake you know no one wants to see that eating disorder behaviors be it restriction or, or, or binging whatever it is it, are very secretive they're very isolating so you know part of the journey can be making it really social cooking with housemates and having house dinners if you're at university or living in shared accommodation you know going for dates with your boyfriend and eating out with your partner um I don't know even if it's just like telling a close friend that you have like actually do you I really want to eat pizza this weekend um will you eat pizza with me and then watching a movie having a pizza and just chilling out and making it a really nice event making it something that you then associate that food with a really good memory instead of you know associating it with a binge because you're going to be anxious when you see that food because you're going to associate it with that prior behavior and being feeling out of control or you know being in a kind of disordered mindset so making sure when you're rewriting the narrative around that food you're really thinking about the whole experience you know who are you eating with where are you what are you doing um how can you make it as fun as possible are you you know with pizzas you could even buy in the base and make your own pizzas and put the toppings on um you could try out a new restaurant in town you could buy a new cookbook or try a new recipe online um join a cookery group and and learn new skills whatever it is the more fun and creative you can make it for yourself the better because we want to put some source of joy and enjoyment into the recovery process because otherwise it is very grueling and it is full of fear and it is full of anxiety and we want to kind of reduce that and create these new narratives full of full of fun and full of joy and full of kind of positivity around food um as much as we can so there you have it they are my five big recovery mistakes so just to recap really quickly it was one not taking my recovery seriously early enough two masking my eating disorder with socially accepted or promoted behaviors three thinking that once I reached my goal weight all the hard work would stop and four keeping my old sick clothes and five and finally not eating enough carbohydrates so that's it for me guys for this week I really hope you enjoyed that if you did I please just rate this podcast for me it really supports the work that I do creating free content to help promote eating disorder recovery and campaign for positive mental health and I will see you again next week I have another guest on I'm so excited for this episode it's all going to be about recovery around Christmas and the things you can do to help yourself cope with the holidays So stay tuned and until then, stay happy and stay healthy.